Hi guys. Welcome back to another episode of Hot Takes Pod episode 11. What a big milestone we passed the other week. I know if you guys haven't listened to our first 10 episodes, which I know a lot of people may have fell behind because we were doing weekly episodes, but now we're doing bi-weekly episodes. So you have extra time to go back and listen to them. So go back, listen to our first 10 and let us know what you guys think. Yes, and speaking of bi-weekly episodes, I just wanted to give a really quick update on life and everything that's been going on with the podcast before we get into our main content today, but we're going to keep it quick and simple because we have such an amazing episode planned for you guys with the most incredible interviewee. So thank you everyone for your support with our bi-weekly episodes. We really appreciate it and we're really excited that we made the decision to do this go forward because we think it's just going to give us optimal time to create the best content for you guys. So it's been it's been great having the response that we've had and I think Maddie and I both feel that the balancing act between this and work is not as overwhelming as it might have been if we were just trying to push out an episode a week. So thanks for understanding. We really appreciate it. Anything to add to that, Mad? Yes, definitely. As Julia said, both of us adjusting to work and work from home again is going to be different than it's been while we were on furlough. So Thank you for bearing with us and for supporting us through every decision we've made and what we've done so far. In other exciting news, because we are not doing an episode next week, because like we said, we're going to be doing them bi-weekly, we are going to be trying to have really fun and engaging things happening on our Instagrams on Tuesdays. So we have a fun surprise for you all that we have planned next Tuesday. So stay tuned for that. It will be a great way for not only you guys to get involved with our brand, but also get involved with another brand, hint, hint, and hint. Hint, 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 and send it off to your friends and get everyone to follow at Hot Takes Pod on Instagram. So we're really excited about that. And we are going to continue to try and post engaging quizzes and questionnaires on those Tuesdays that we don't have episodes. Stay tuned for that. And now I'm going to let Maddie kick it off with our episode introduction because it's a fabulous one and it deserves the most amount of time. Thanks, Jules. This week, we're so excited to have Mariko Ichikawa on our show. Mariko and I met at a panel when I was speaking for the CFDA about micro-influencers in college. It was really random, but I guess I was telling my life story like on this panel and it resonated with her. So she came up to me afterwards and told me that she also went to Penn for undergrad and then worked at Macy's as her first job out of college and then eventually went on after being a buyer for many years to start her own brand, which I don't even remember what I said, because honestly, I was so nervous at that panel that I like forgot half of it. But I guess I said those same things, which is what I want to do with my career. So um, we bonded pretty quickly and connected and stayed in touch ever since I've been following her Instagram and watching all the cool things that she's doing. So we are very excited to have her on this show with us today. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you, guys. I'm excited to be here. (laughs) We're excited to have you. 
So a little bit more about her career path. She had her first job out of college, as I told you, working as a product development assistant at Macy's, which is exactly what I did. Um, And then after a year into this role, she switched over to the buying side and worked as an assistant buyer at Bergdorf Goodman. She spent about five and a half years with the company, starting in the home department, earning multiple promotions, eventually becoming a buyer for women's designer ready to wear. At Bergdorf, she worked with brands including Balenciaga, Celine, Givenchy, Miu Miu, Marc Jacobs, Oscar de la Renta, Naeem Khan, Badgley Mishka, and Carolina Herrera. Literally the coolest thing ever. I know. I think that's like Julia's dream job I, in my, nutshell, my as we've discussed. Like dropping to the floor. I'm just trying not to like act as if you're the coolest person ever, but you're the coolest person ever. Yeah. Pretty much. We're all glad we're all in agreement about that. Oh, thank you guys. So then, <laughs> yeah. Um, and that is definitely not all. So then after she was done with these experiences, she actually decided to move to Dubai for two years, working as a buyer for Bloomingdale's and Harvey Nichols, buying for many similar evening wear brands, which is so awesome. And we can't wait to hear more about why you chose to do that. Um, and then after that experience, she moved back to New York City, working as a buyer for designer ready to wear at Barney's. It just keeps going. The list keeps growing. Um, And then after all of these experiences and a few others that we left out because of just the sheer amount of experiences she has, she founded her own brand, Mariko Ichikawa. Her pieces redesign authentic Japanese kimonos, creating one-of-a-kind collectible coats and robes, which are very, very beautiful. I visited her pop-up in Sag Harbor the other weekend and saw them in person for the first time, which was really exciting. Um, And then amidst all of these incredible experiences, she became a network mentor for the CFDA, which is where she shares her industry knowledge with her mentees. So welcome to our show. We're so excited to have you on. Wow, that was a great introduction. Thank you. <laughs> well, you Everyone are... always says that, but you deserve yeah. the introduction. It's literally just like a you list of your accomplishments that. and talk about career goals. I'm going to try not to fangirl so much on this because it'll just get embarrassing, but you're literally my idol. So... Um, It's really crazy taking it back to know how much you and Maddie shared such a similar start to your careers. So just like going all the way back to those pen days, what was it like for you at school? Did you always know that you wanted to study or end up in retail and fashion? And what do you what did you study that like kind of got you on that path? Um, So, you know, I always wanted to be a clothing designer, Um, but I, you know, I that was, you know, from when I was a child and then, you know, the years progress in high school and college. I went to Penn thinking I would be pre-med for a semester, um, but, you know, that didn't work out <laughs> for the best. And then I, uh, I always had a passion for art and I figured I would, you know, get an education at Penn and still try to pursue fashion design. Um, I started taking classes at FIT over the summers um, while I was home from Penn, and I I became a fine arts major at Penn, focusing on graphic design and figure drawing and doing my senior thesis around um, creating clothing. So it was a great opportunity for me to 
Wow. That's really impressive that you were able to bring in that interest in fashion to Penn because I know like with their classes, they just don't have many opportunities that you can do that. So you really have to go in knowing that that's something you're passionate about and like create it for yourself. Yeah. So that's very cool. Yeah. I was going to say also that taking summer classes at FIT, I feel like we haven't heard anyone on the show so far say that they've done that, but we have spoken a lot about how some colleges don't offer the right opportunities for people who do have an interest in fashion to get involved. And there are a lot of people that don't want to necessarily go to a fashion school, but still want to pursue a career in fashion. So it's great to know that you were able to find those opportunities over the summer by taking classes. Yeah. And I, you know, and I spoke with uh, my um, count, uh, my my department head um, in fine arts about the classes over the summer, and so that's that's sort of what helped them feel comfortable with granting me the flexibility in my thesis uh, to do something around fashion as well. So and that's and awesome. we have Wharton, you know, at Penn, so that they have a great retail program. And um, I took a few classes in marketing and retail with them. I think it was just getting started at the time because it's been almost <laughs> it's been almost fifteen years um, since I was at Penn. But yeah. <laughs> so, how did you realize while you were at school that you wanted to work at Macy's, and how did you go about getting that job, or did you know at all? Like, how did that process happen for you? I honestly, I didn't, I didn't really know what was out there um, in terms of buying a retail. Like I said, I had been really focused on fashion design, um, thinking that I would figure out how to get into that. Um, But then, you know, OCR comes around (laughs) on campus recruiting and um, relatable. Yeah. And I thought, okay, let me see, you know, what's out there with some of these stores that are coming, coming to campus. And, um, you know, when I heard the presentations, to me, it sounded like buying was something I did not want to do. Um, I heard, I believe, Lord and Taylor, Bloomingdale's, Macy's, um, Ralph Lauren, they all came and, and gave presentations about, you know, sort of what they were hiring for. Um, based on those presentations, it sounded to me like buying was not going to be an area of interest for me. And that actually Macy's product development would be because it's more close, you know, more closely related to design. It is, it is so crazy how we have like the exact same perspective in that way. I had the same feelings after listening to those. Honestly, I think whoever is making the presentation should just like totally do them in another way because I felt the same like creative, I guess, like roadblock there in all those presentations, but like, that's not the case at all. Right. It turns out so very, okay. Keep no, going. Sorry, yeah. I <laughs> no, no. To say that, like, I feel you so hard on that one, <laughs> on what you just said. Yeah. It's really crazy because then like a year later I ended up going into buying, but, <laughs> but, um, or like a year and a half later I ended up going into buying, but, um, no buying. What? We love buying. I said we love buying over here. Maddie's our most recent buyer at Macy's. I know. And we're Brand very excited for her. Oh, that's so exciting. So you got promoted? Oh, yeah. I got 
I guess you could call it promoted, but I got called back from furlough and got switched over to the buying side of things. I guess it was based on like need and whatever, but I'm very excited because I wanted to try something new around this time anyways in my career and buying was like the next step. So I guess it just accelerated that a little bit. That's great. Congratulations. I mean, even if it's lateral or whatever, it's a different, you know, it's like a promotion. So it's exciting. Congrats. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so yeah, so I, um, I started in product development at Macy's in men's foot, in the men's footwear area. Um, they put me there. I remember the HR director telling me they put me there because men's footwear didn't really have, you know, Macy's product development at the time had every, every product category had their own design team with the exception of men's footwear because of the type of product that it is. The product development team actually did a lot of the designing themselves so with the factories that's lucky for you yeah it was really it was cool to really see how that worked and understand you know how how it can be different um how the process is really different depending on the product categories but essentially what you know you were what i was doing or the team that i was on in men's footwear product development what they were doing at macy's was what a lot of buyers do for um, private label product development for um, department stores. So when did you know that it was time to move on from that role? Was it kind of more of a natural transition or was there a point where you were like, okay, I'm ready for something new? Um, I remember getting ready for the buy meetings and, um, you know, I was working at the time Macy's had seven divisions and I was helping out all of the buyers, um, in the showroom. And I remember like talking to, uh, one of the buyers, Tom McCormick, he is great. And he was just, um, telling me about his business and, you know, his career trajectory. And I realized, you know, I, I felt like, oh, wow, this is something I really want to learn more about. Buying seems really interesting. Um, But Macy's being such a big company was so intimidating. Um, It was very intimidating, the idea to go over into buying for such a big company. And I had a friend from Penn um, who was at Bergdorf in in, in the buying department who loved, loved it and also loved kind of like the size of, of the company. Um, and yeah. And so that's why I kind of felt the need to move that way as opposed to, um, staying within Macy's. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. What for for our listeners who don't really know like the specifics about a product development role or buying role, what would you say like the main differences are between like your day to day in those two roles? And I'm also curious, like what parts of it you liked versus liked less? Well, they're, I mean, they're very different one. They're very different companies. They're very different markets, all of that. But if you're, you know, looking specifically at product development, um, that's typically closer to something that like a merchandiser would be doing. So you're really um, looking to make sure that your assortment that you offer for a singular brand um, is going to meet the commercial needs of the business um, versus buying. And typically you're a buyer for a store, you're buying multiple brands and you're really trying to make an assortment that speaks to, you know, 
the the customer of your store. Um, so, I mean, it's a pretty different role. Uh, the, the, the thing that is similar that I, that I was saying before is, you know, sometimes when you're a buyer for a store and you're selecting, you know, individual products from all these different brands that, that are, that are supposed to speak to the customer of your store, you, there will be an opportunity to do private label. For example, Barney's had private label. I'm sure you guys saw some of that. Um, yeah. And in that case, you would maybe work with a factory or a design team and create product that, you know, you would sell under the store's label. Um, and that's essentially what Macy's does with a whole product development team for all of their in-house labels, private labels. I feel like it's even it's really hard to even summarize, not summarize, but define in such a small way what product development or buying is because like you said when you're buying at a big company like Macy's it may be so different than what the buyer's role is at a company like Bergdorf's or Barney's and even between FOBs which is family of businesses for all of our (laughs) listeners out there um Maddie so Maddie just started her role as a buyer I'm a buyer in beauty and when we talk about our day-to-days we are not doing any of the same stuff and it's so crazy I was like, Maddie, I'd love to help you with whatever I can. And she's like, well, I'm doing this, this, and this. And I'm like, I've never done this, this, and this, so I can't help you. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so crazy. It really is different depending on um, the exactly the product category that you're buying for as well. And and also doing product development for. So, um, but what I guess I would, I would make the demarcation a little bit more like um, – merchandising and product development are very similar, much more closely aligned, and then buying is a little bit separate. Of course, if you're a buyer for a mono brand, so for example, Ralph Lauren has their own buyers, and you're buying from, you know, a given assortment, that buying job is much more closely related to merchandising and product development, right? So... Yeah, I guess that makes sense. You're working more towards like the vision of a brand, whereas when you're creating an assortment from multiple vendors, you're working towards like what your customer wants to see and shopping for them in a different way. That was a really good explanation. I feel like I would not have been able to put that together like the way you just did. (laughs) So how was the company culture at Bergdorf's? And tell us more about your experience starting there and then growing in your career. Um, I, you know, I loved Bergdorf. It was such a great experience for me. Um, I started there in the home department. Um, I believe I originally interviewed for a men's, an assistant, uh, position in men's. Um, and then I think that had gotten filled. So I interviewed with home and that's where I ended up getting placed. And I had a wonderful, wonderfully supportive team. Um, who really encouraged me to be entrepreneurial and um, gave me a lot of autonomy. Um, Yeah, and really believed in me. And that really helped grow my confidence, especially at such a young age. I was, what, like 23 or something like that. (laughs) 22. Um, Yeah, so it was it was a it was a great experience. And, you know, Bergdorf in general was like that when I worked there. Um, It was very, you know, it was a smaller environment. So everybody pretty much knew each other, Um, even if, you know, senior management didn't know your name. um, They certainly recognized you. And 
the store team, because it's one store, the store team and the corporate team are very closely aligned and always working together. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a nice intimate environment in terms of, of a retail environment. When you made the transition from home and you got your first, was it a promotion into, so in home you were uh, an assistant buyer Mm -hmm. and then you moved on and when you moved into the luxury department, what was that transition like and how did you feel working with all of those incredible vendors at such a young age? Was it ever intimidating to you or did you feel like you knew what you were doing? (laughs) Um, Well... The first step, I think, before I switched over kind of more laterally as an assistant buyer into Couture, and then from Couture, um, I was there for a few years and then uh, was promoted as a buyer and designer ready to wear. Um, So, and Couture is evening wear and fur and and all of that. Um, You know, I, so I guess if we're talking about, I mean, when the the transition laterally from from assistant to assistant was you know very exciting and and uh, not so not as nerve wracking. Obviously, the the promotion from assistant to buyer and then having an assistant is a big one, um, and it was very exciting. Um, I don't think I would be the first person to say, you know, there were times when I questioned myself or questioned like what was going, you know, like, I can't believe this is even really happening. It was so, you know, I mean, it was my dream job um, at the time. Um, So, yeah, I think it's like quite natural, especially when you're young to feel a little intimidated, but you just, you know, you have to trust that you're, there for a reason you know your management like promoted you and entrusted you and you just have to do the best job you can right so you kind of have to just like i don't know (laughs) yeah like you just you know and it's not like over the imposter syndrome yeah i think that that's something that like creeps up on you um at times but i ultimately you know i went for the promotion you know i wanted it so it wasn't like Nobody decided, oh, Mariko should have this. Let's just give it to her. I was like, I went after it. <laughs> yes, I went after it and I was like, I don't care if you don't give it to me. Like, I'm still going to try really hard. <laughs> for our listeners, I feel like it would be really great to know when you were going for that promotion, what was something that you learned um, in that experience or advice that you would give to someone who is looking for a promotion in a job? I just kept in inter- I think... I just kept interviewing. So I wanted to be a buyer. I had that conversation with my manager at the time, you know, um, she supported me. And in doing that, we talked about things that I could start doing as an assistant in her division to get, get better prepared for the next role. And I had the conversation with HR and just every buyer job that came up, I went to, to interview for it. And I interviewed for like beauty, footwear, um, men's, uh, I interviewed for like every buyer job that came up, like over the course of, I don't know, those six months or something like that. Um, as an assistant who was like ready to be promoted and, uh, you know, I didn't get them (laughs) and it was a little depressing sometimes, but then I got the dream one. 
Yeah, then you have to just keep going because everything happens for a reason. If you don't get all the jobs that are like not exactly what you wanted to do, you will get the job that you want to do eventually. Exactly. So you got to be persistent. And I like telling people that because it's exactly because it's easy to get, you know, it's, it's easy to feel like, oh, no, maybe, you know, it's not for me or, or they don't want me or all that. But it's also like, no, you know, sometimes you have to just keep at it and eventually the right thing happens. So I have awesome. to ask, what was your favorite part of buying in couture and luxury? Oh, the product. Yeah. Just, I mean, being around the product, that, that level of product and anything home, chocolate i mean evening wear you know chocolate, the yeah. highest level is beauty. it's like it's it's unbelievable what people can make it's really you know it's mm-hmm. really exciting um and you know especially at a place like bergdorf you've got you've got major brands that are so you know everywhere global and you also have really amazing artisanal brands that are exclusive to bergdorf and really mm-hmm. special and you know, like would never, you would never really know unless you were a customer or a buyer. So your market meetings must have been like the most elite things. I remember when I interned for the row, I actually started during market and Bergdorf and Barney's both came in and just seen like everything happening. And I wanted to be in that room so badly, but obviously I was an intern. So I was just dressing the models behind the scenes, but it must've been so elite. Is there a favorite memory that stands out to you from any of those experiences? Um, I guess it would be when we did the movie at Bergdorf when, I don't know if you guys know about the, the movie, um, that they shot about Bergdorf, but they hired, I didn't know about the movie. They scatter my ashes. Yeah. They, they, um, they shot that movie and, and we had like a film crew come around to some of our buying appointments. And that was kind of fun because now, so cool. you know, now I can like watch a movie and remember <laughs> <laughs> she's also a celebrity so let's talk about your move to dubai what inspired you to make that huge jump and what was it like working in a completely different city in a similar role wow yeah um that was that was an exciting time in my life um i you know they contacted me off of linkedin Um, so I believe that, you know, it wasn't, I don't, I don't know if I, I don't think I was actively looking, but I do remember, you know, it was a cold winter in New York and the idea of the beach and warmth (laughs) and, and still doing my job was very exciting. Um, they reached out to me and, you know, I thought, when else can I do something like this? You know, I was, I think, 29 or something at the time. Um, yeah. And uh, I was like, all right, well, I don't have any kids now. This is the time to move. Right. (laughs) I'm going to have to put you in contact with my parents so that you can give them this pep talk because I'm trying to move to London and they are not understanding my need. But yeah, just do it. I mean, that was the only thing that I once I got there, I was like, I should have done this younger. Like, (laughs) 
you know, it's fun. It's great. And, um, it's, you know, I think everything's a little bit easier when you're younger. It was, it was definitely a transition. It was definitely different, um, totally different culture, but I learned a lot. I made really wonderful friends and, you know, and I still got to put, you know, the skills that I had acquired to use, uh, buying for, you know, luxury brands in, in another market, which was really fun. That's so cool. Yeah. How was the market different and like the fashion, I guess, and what people were shopping for? How is that different? Um, well, you know, in a lot of ways it's very similar because when you're buying, you know, luxury, it's the same small percentage of customers shopping globally, really. I mean, it's a global customer. Um, but you know, obviously what people are purchasing in their hometown, um, is a little bit different. So it's more tailored to their lifestyle. And in Dubai, if you're local, you would wear an abaya, um, and a headscarf if uh, as a local woman it's not required it's not mandated but if you're muslim um, you would probably wear that so for the local women purchasing um things clothing at at the mall you know footwear was really important handbags is really important evening wear is very important for all of the weddings that they have um but you know the ready to wear you're usually when you're out and about it's under an abaya so it's not as it's not uh, as important for like everyday clothing. That's why occasion clothing is a little bit more um, important for them. Uh, but the expat community there are not wearing abayas and they are, you know, just wearing whatever your typical Western clothing. Um, and so the expat community is pretty much driving the designer uh, market there. It was just interesting. It wasn't what I expected. Yeah. Did that it is take you time to kind of understand that market a little bit more? And how important, if at all, do you think it is to understand like the streetwear culture or just like witness people walking around and what they're wearing on their day to day to be a better buyer in whatever location you're in? I mean, I think it's extremely important to to be to be there. I mean, when you're a buyer um, for a store, you know, like you said before, you're buying for your customers who are shopping the store. Um, you know, I think the 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 DMM um, there, we worked together. She was a buyer um, when I was there. You know, she's a DMM now. She grew up there. Her name is Jessica Crawley. She's fabulous. And, you know, having the history of growing up in a place, you know, I mean, that, that makes you really the best person to be able to select for your customers. I was lucky in the area that I was buying for, um, it was evening wear and, um, like the, they're like couture brands. And, um, that was really like, very similar to, or I guess very similar to Bergdorf. I mean, we had, we shared, you know, similar customers. So I kind of knew from my experience as an assistant buyer in the couture area, um, what that customer is looking for. And then obviously by working with the sales associates, talking to customers themselves, um, finding out, you know, how to fine tune the assortment to really resonate with them. 
but you just have to, I mean, what I did was I spent a lot of time on the shop floor. I talked to people um, and that was the best way for me to figure out how to tailor the assortment as fast as possible. You know, being somebody who, who had just yeah. gotten there. Definitely. I feel like it, it's sad to think that at least right now when Maddie and I are both transitioning into our roles, it's very digital based and virtual. Yeah. And I do miss the ability when I first started the first few weeks before quarantine hit that we had like one store visit that was so much fun getting to know the beauty assistants that were working on the floor and um, seeing what customers were actually buying and getting to talk to people. And now it's like we don't have that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, you know, it's definitely a challenge for a lot of stores what's happening right now with the the pandemic and, you know, uh, people not being able to go into stores, you definitely lose a little bit of that immediate feedback loop. Um, so I don't know. But everything's definitely, going digital. Yeah. So if you can figure out how to... <laughs> how to do it digitally, yeah, then you'll be in the way. That's win. right. <laughs> How was the company culture in comparison to like working in New York? Did you find there to be any differences between how people acted or similar? Um, I would say it's very similar. I, the company that I worked for in Dubai uh, was Altire, and they actually had a lot of people who used to be Macy's people working there. Um, so we're pretty high up. So I would say the culture was actually great. Um, it was very similar to what I had known in the States. Um, just more international, you know, um, my coworkers came from London or, um, Lebanon, Syria, um, France, South Africa, you know, it was really Egypt. Um, it was really India. It was really cool. That's one of the things that's really nice about a place like Dubai. Um, it's really central for another part of the world. And, you know, kind of like New York can, is very diverse and international, so is Dubai. Um, and it was great to kind of get that exposure, um, learn about other cultures, work with so many people from other countries, because that's something that you actually don't get a lot of in Definitely. New York. So it sounds like you had a really great experience working in Dubai. What made you want to transition and move back to New York? <laughs> Should I give you the real, the it's truth? Or the... We want the truth. It was a boy. It was a boy. It was a boy. It's always a boy. Tell us everything. No. Well, um, he is no longer in the picture, but, um, you know, I was in a relationship during that time and, and it was getting more and more difficult to be long distance. So, um, I moved back and, uh, that was definitely a big, a big part of the reason why I moved back. Which is fair. There's <laughs> That's no a pretty good that. normal reason to move back. <laughs> so after you moved back, you became a buyer for Barney's, mm -hmm. which is a dream, of course. So how did you land this job? And was there anything that you took from your time in Dubai that you felt really gave you a new perspective or you felt like you could bring something new to the table? Um, yeah. So um, 
I reached out to my old, I had worked for um, a woman at Bergdorf who ended up going over to Barney's. And so when I wanted to come back to the States, um, I saw, you know, I was, I thought, what, what do I want to come back? You know, what do I want to come back to? And, and Barney's is, you know, multiple locations. Um, I, so at Bergdorf, I had gone from buying for one location to, going to Dubai and buying for two locations. I worked for a company called Altire and I bought for Harvey Nichols Dubai and Bloomingdale's Dubai. So I really liked um, buying for two doors that was, and two slightly different customers, um, obviously two different nameplates. So the, the assortments were a little different, but um, yeah, when I wanted to come back to the States, I wanted to continue on that trajectory with, you know, buying for multiple stores and, and kind of creating capsule assortments. Um, so I wanted to come, of course, to Barney's. That was the dream. And I reached out to my old manager um, who had been at Bergdorf and then went to Barney's when I saw an opening and just like, you know, went after it hard. Like, <laughs> right? I feel like that has to be like yeah, the title of this episode. Like, like you just going after every yeah. job, like one hundred percent. So yeah, so that was pretty much you know um, what what I did, and and at the time, you know, Barney's really wanted to develop their evening wear program. Um, that was definitely something that I had a lot of experience with at Bergdorf and, and then way more fully at, um, at, in Dubai. Um, so it was, it was, seemed like a, a really good fit. Um, and it was, you know, it was a great opportunity. I was really happy to. So cool. So when did you realize you were ready to start your own brand and make the jump over to going off on your own and tell us more about it for our audience to learn? Um, I don't know if I ever knew if I was ready. Well, okay. No, no, no. I, um, so I knew I wanted to start my own business and, and design something. Um, but what I was kind of waiting for was the idea. Right. And I think, and I had some ideas, you know, over the years as I was buying, you know, I, I made uh, my best friend's wedding gown and I thought, oh, okay. You know, it, it was a hit and I thought, oh, okay, maybe I can do like custom wedding. And I kind of thought, <laughs> right no, And <laughs> that didn't really work out. <laughs> and then I thought, okay, no, that, let me not uh, do that. So I, I guess I, and then what happened? Um, Oh, I, yeah, I left Barney's around then though, thinking that I was going to do that. And then it kind of didn't really work out. But during that summer, that break, after I had left Barney's, um, when I thought I was going to do the evening where I went back to Japan, I visited my family and um, I was looking for fabrics to do the evening wear with, evening wear bridal line with. Um, and I don't know, I, it was because I had trouble finding the right kind of materials. My aunt suggested maybe looking into secondhand kimonos. And then that's how that, that's kind of how that whole, this whole thing started. Um, I made a connection with a woman who sells secondhand kimonos. And then I thought, I don't really want to cut these up. 
and like turn them into, you know, bodices or I don't know. I didn't really want to cut them up. Um, so then I thought, how can I kind of like keep them, retain their beauty and just like elevate them a little bit more so people can wear them. Um, yeah. And that's, that's how that went. <laughs> well, your kimonos are stunning, as Maddie said to begin with. And I feel like that's so – I didn't realize that you had family in Japan. First of all, Japan is one of my favorite countries that I've ever visited. Um, and I could totally see how inspired you must have felt. And that's really cool that you were able to get that inspiration from something that means so much to you and, like, from your family yeah. and your history rather than just, like, designing – evening wear now it just takes on this whole other meaning yes. yeah definitely and you know I was struggling too with the I had seen a lot of you know waste that is in the fashion industry as a buyer and all of that and the idea of becoming you know a fashion designer and doing the doing it the way everybody else has always been doing it for so many years didn't feel right to me I didn't want to create something new and just like keep adding to the inherent waste problem that already exists in the industry. So I don't know, I guess all these things going on in your head at the same time. And then all of a sudden, I don't know. <laughs> so then once you, once you had that really awesome idea and it, like the spark was there, how did you build it from the ground up? And like, what were some initial roadblocks or successes early on that you wanted to tell our listeners about? Well, I definitely had the idea, but obviously then I had to flush it out. So that was going to take a little bit of time. I want to say I had the idea, I don't know, 2017. And, you know, it takes time to flush it out. So I definitely had to take another job. I mean, <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't, you know, now I was changing my mind, right? I had, <laughs> I had left Barney's and thought I wasn't you know, I was going to do evening wear and now I had this totally new idea, which I felt was stronger, but, you know, also needed to be flushed out. So I, um, found, you know, another job. I worked as a merchandiser for, um, the Danish company, George Jensen. They do jewelry home and, um, fine silver. And, uh, during that time I was able to figure out, you know, the kimonos and what I was going to turn it into. Um, and, you know, while still, still earning an income, um, from, which is important, it's very important. Yeah. <laughs> it's very important. Um, you know, and it was something I couldn't really do as a buyer because it, there's a little bit of, you know, competition. You can't really design product if you're buying, you know, the same kind of thing. I don't know. That just didn't feel right to me. So being a merchandiser in a complimentary um, area of luxury felt right. And, and, you know, my managers knew what I was doing. Obviously it wasn't even a business. So nobody really cared. <laughs> it's like a hobby at that point yeah, in time, totally. you know? So. Totally. And what, so after you kind of got everything together when did you leave when did you know it was the right time to to quit the day job and take over um your new brand and have it be full speed ahead um well to be totally honest I was laid off I was laid off as a merchandiser um and 
I want to say like being laid off um, was probably my biggest fear up until then. I was like, what am I going to like, what am I going to do? How am I going to do like anything? And then I was like, and then I realized I was like, oh no, this is an incredible opportunity for me to, I mean, I've been working on this thing for like, (laughs) for like a year and a half on the side, like fleshing it out. I was like, oh, now I'll just do this. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I did, um, uh, I think if that hadn't happened, I probably, it probably would have been another half a year to a year until I would have had the courage and the financial resources saved to be able to do it. Um, but you know, um, there's like a wonderful program called the self-employment assistance program for if you get laid off and you're collecting unemployment, um, you can start your own business. And so that's pretty much what I did. I was like, wow, okay, now I can turn this thing that was like a hobby and like something I was testing. That's into awesome. A Especially during this time, I feel like even Julie and I, when we were furloughed from our jobs, it what it was the reason that this podcast started. Like it sparked a creativity that we weren't even thinking about because we didn't have that opportunity. So I really think that it shows like you were able to take, I guess, a negative situation and turn it into a positive and everything happens for a reason. So like for anyone totally. who is listening to this and also is just laid off for them from their jobs or are on furlough, like there's always a silver mm-hmm. lining and you can totally take this time as an opportunity for reflection and growth. So I'm so happy to hear that from you and that you did a similar thing. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That I, I think that is such an important takeaway. Um, especially something that people want to hear right totally. now because it is, like Maddie said, a time for self-reflection and a time where your creativity can really spark something that you weren't able to spark when you were so focused on something else. So mm-hmm. um, congratulations on doing that. And now, obviously, it's a big Julie's success. Question. And I want to know personally, what is what is it like when you see celebrities <laughs> particularly Karamo Brown, wearing your designs. Also, for anyone who doesn't know, Karamo Brown is um, one of the fab, fab Five on Queer Eye, one of my favorite shows. So if any of you Queer Eye Fab Fivers want to come on a Hot Takes <laughs> podcast, please do. You're always welcome. Um, but he has been spotted wearing her designs on multiple episodes this season. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's so exciting. Um, yeah, I, so the whole story with that is, um, a friend of mine who I actually worked with at Bergdorf, she ended up start leaving Bergdorf, you know, over the years and starting her own styling company. And now she's uh, head of wardrobe at Queer Eye. And so I guess when I started my business last year, I, you know, sent an email out to every single contact in my Google (laughs) saying like, this is what I'm doing now, you guys like check it out. Look at what I'm doing. Um, you know, just to keep people, because you never know what, you know, and I, I got a lot of, um, support from my friends that way. A lot of connections to stores and, um, uh, you know, things, press opportunities like this one. Um, so, 
she reached out to me, we reconnected and we, um, we caught up and she called in, you know, a selection of kimonos, but of course I had no idea what was going to happen, you know, and you never know with stylists and with the fashion in general, you don't ever want to get your hopes up. But um, a few weeks later, she said, you know, one of the guys really liked them. So we're going to hold on to them for like until the end of shooting. I was like, OK, OK, keeping my fingers crossed the whole time. Um, and then, you know, she sends them back. She sent a few back. And I was like, OK, what happened? What happened? Um, and she then breaks the news that it was Karamo who liked them. And I was so excited. And then it was just a matter of like me constantly being like, so when's it coming out? When's it coming out? When am I going to see it? Like, and the way she described it to me, I thought, oh, maybe it's just like one little scene here that he wore one in. No, yeah. no, 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 no. <laughs> he was wearing them all the time. I think she was being a good friend and she didn't want to like build my hopes up too much. Yeah. <laughs> so when I saw like one and then two <laughs> and then three. And That's then, so yeah, cool. Like, very, yeah. <laughs> it's very that must exciting. be like a dream come true. Yeah, it was, like, it was, it was all very done surreal. And done so well for that reason. And it finally paid off. That's such a great feeling. Yeah. Well, thank you for dealing with my fangirling in that second. I really had to ask. That was the first thing I said to Maddie when um, she told me that we were going to reach out of, uh, to you about having you on the show. Uh-huh. And I was doing my obvious LinkedIn stalking. <laughs> and I was like, okay, let me look her up. And then Karamo Brown comes up and I'm like, oh, Maddie. And she doesn't watch Queer Eye. So that's something that she needs to figure out. But... Yeah. Yeah, no, it was it's great. And you know, I'm it's so nice to be associated with, uh, you know, such a great person. He like he's such I, also a guy, you know, cuz up until then, most of my kimono, I mean, I definitely consider my kimonos unisex. I just happen to do a lot of my photography on women right now. Um but when the next group of photography that I we'll be doing it's going to be more unisex with both models but you know that was also really exciting for me because my kimonos are definitely unisex and and uh that was great yeah that's really that's a really interesting thing I feel like sometimes even when you start putting things out in the market it only takes one person Mm -hmm. not that you felt it wasn't unisex before but to really show you how you can even reimagine your brand in a different way yeah Definitely. Yeah. So it's always this fine line of like having this vision and like, this is your brand and this is your vision, but also being open and and a little bit flexible to things that come down the pipeline, you know, um, or, or opportunities that present themselves. So you you were talking about, um, I guess a lot of your, the opportunities that came up were through friends or people you met along different at different points during your career or at school. So we wanted to ask if you could tell us more about how networking and mentorship play a role in your life. Having a supportive network around you is extremely important in general in life. I think especially more so when you're starting your own business. Um, And, you know, as I've mentioned, a lot of my career trajectory has come about because of sort of my um, professional network and, um, you know, people I've worked for in the past would, I would say, you know, definitely 
quite a few of them I, I considered to be mentors. Um, they were managers, you know, of, of mine um, previously, and I worked for them, but I definitely seek, continue to seek them out for advice and feedback, and that's played a huge role in my life in general. Um, I never really sought out to make somebody a mentor. I think it was just more like they were a manager of mine and we got along really well. And, you know, they have amazing insight and experience. And so if they are my friend, you know, and they're my friends, so I can, I can turn to them, you know, when I have questions or, um, want a little bit of guidance and they're happy to help me. Um, because advice is free. Yes, right? it is. <laughs> and in turn, you know, I try to do that. I try to do that with others. And that's part of what made me want to join the um, CFDA uh, network program. Because, you know, then going into designing, you know, I have all of this experience in, in product development and um, buying and merchandising that, you know, I didn't want to just keep to myself or my own brand. There's definitely a lot of people out there who could benefit from it. So I think. Well, we really appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> I think. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I'm always. <laughs> if I know everything. I'm just no, saying. We, uh, Happy to share what I know. It's so important to give that back, especially when you're someone who has benefited and understood the amazing impact that having mentors and friends that are in your career path and friends that you admire, having them give you advice and help you along the way, even something as simple as reaching out to all of your contacts and having someone connect you to a Karamo Brown. um, It's really great that you're able to give that back. So to end the episode, we always love to ask what advice you would give to young people aspiring to work in the fashion and retail space, but feel intimidated by the uncertainty right now yes that is a tough one I mean what I what I would say is that um is to not let fear rule your decisions I think that that's just something that is worthwhile in general but especially right now ultimately you know what's gonna happen I feel what's gonna happen is gonna happen if you can look at my my um, career trajectory, you'll kind of see that. Um, just go after what you want and, and what you love with all of your heart, seriously. And, you know, it might be for me in the beginning, it was like I wanted to be a buyer and I thought I wanted to be a buyer for men's at, men's clothing at Bergdorf Goodman. Well, that door didn't, didn't open for me, but home did. And you know, so I was open to doing something different and, and that's, it you know, how like you get a, your foot in the door. It sounds like a control, the controllables think, kind of approach where like if something happens out of your control, obviously you need to be able to pivot and recover and bounce back and find something else that you like. But also if an opportunity presents itself to you and you know you really want that, you have to go after it 100%. But like still be flexible enough to go with the punches if you don't get it um, and try for the next thing. So that's awesome that you were able to do all of that. Exactly. Yes. And just don't lose faith because I think, you know, I th- and especially when you're young, I think it's, it, you don't realize until you get a little older that you're going to have a lot of experiences and not all of them are going to, you know, be 
right on the first time. So to just kind of hang in there. And even if it doesn't work out right away, like I said, I interviewed for maybe, I don't know, three or four buying jobs before I got the one, you know, that was meant for me. Um, you know, just, just be persistent and, and it'll, I think it happens, you know? Well, thank you so much for coming on and for sharing your story with our listeners. I'm so excited for them to hear it and for sharing it with us because I just took so much away from that. Um, You are so impressive and have so much um, advice to offer to people and even just looking and seeing what your career trajectory has been, like you said, to know that it doesn't have to just follow one path and you kind of just can take any opportunity that you're presented with and turn it into something positive. Um, I think that's a really good takeaway. So thank you. Uh, Let's let our listeners know where they can follow you and where they can shop your kimonos. Um, So if you want to, if you want to give your Instagram handle, we'll also add it to our description of this episode for all of you guys to follow her on instagram and if there's any other place that you want them to follow you oh great you can let us know great thank you yeah um so you can follow me on instagram it's mariko ichikawa nyc which probably if you don't know how to spell my last name is tough (laughs) but um (laughs) you can google that's why we'll have it in the instagram i mean in the episode description don't worry i think if you google mariko kimono you'll be pretty much set so it's m-a and that's how you know you need it you'll find me you should be anyway should be able to anyway (laughs) but yes um follow me on instagram please um I love, I love, uh, getting more followers, of course. And, um, you can check out my website. It's marikoichikawa.com. Well, we'll make sure to link all of that. And for all of our listeners, thanks again for listening to this episode. Please leave your reviews. We're always trying to plug for good reviews and go follow this awesome boss lady on all of her accounts and shop her kimonos because they are stunning. Thank you. Thank you guys so much. This is so nice to, this was so fun. to chat Bye. with you. Thank you. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Have a good one.